This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback from the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Finsider Radio, Thursday night. My name is Keith. I'll be your host until about, mm, say, 10.30 Eastern time. Uh, maybe a little longer, depending on what we get through tonight and uh, the callers that we get. As usual, I have my uh, my faithful co-host, Duke. Duke's uh, coming off a roller coaster week in which case... Uh, his uh, favorite band, Van Halen, played on Kimmel, not once, but twice. And aside from the grievance you just shared about him cutting short, EVH's uh, guitar solo, what did you think? They still got it, man. Uh, would you buy Would you buy a ticket to go see them live? I, I texted, texted my brother on Tuesday because um, it was after midnight when they first started playing, I didn't want to text him, so I texted him uh, I texted him on Tuesday morning. I said, we're going to be in Charlotte on September 11th. You want to get tickets? <laughs> so I would absolutely go mm-hmm. and see him again. All right. Well, that was interesting. Uh, we got a lot to talk about tonight. What are you going to say? I'm sorry? I was going to say the interesting thing was uh, uh, David Mirathos is the time twirling little thing before the show. And he was doing that, and one of them clipped him across the nose, and they had to get a Band-Aid for it. It's kind of funny. I'm still, I'm still getting used to the look of him with uh, no hair. I'm, I'm used to the uh, the whole bleach blonde thing. I, I assume that's part of the reason he has no hair. He probably bleached it right off of uh, right off of his scalp for good. Yeah. Uh, one thing, honestly, one thing I, was just... I was gonna say honestly for me. I wouldn't even be going to listen to the listen to him sing. I'd be there just to watch Eddie play. Be the best course at this point. One thing I was going to point out is uh, we have a special guest tonight. Uh, Lewis has uh, chosen to become the third Musketeer, the third Amigo. I can't think of anything else that kind of goes in a trilogy right now, so that's the best I can do. Lewis, is that you? Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. 
And then oh, now that is my the, singing the voice. Bit. That was my singing that's voice all, for the Well, uh, did you want more? I can keep going. No, I give you a I give you a five point five out of ten for the effort. That was pretty good. Uh, a lot a lot we can talk about tonight. Uh, actually, a lot of uh, developments today. Some pretty surprising. Some rumors. Uh, we'll get to uh, our typical NFL draft talk. Uh, we're in full-on smokescreen season, so you're seeing a lot of stuff come through right now, a lot of garbage. Um, I always like it when something comes through and a team claims that they wouldn't take some guy within the first two rounds, and then they'll end up taking him within the top ten uh, draft night. So if you're someone at home and you're reading this stuff on Twitter and you see these teams actively speaking out against these players, don't believe that. Any team that allows that kind of stuff to to get outside of its in-house discussion, they their entire uh, front office and all the staff needs to be fired. Uh, yeah, it's, it's getting to the point in draft today, season. I was going to say, it's getting to the point in they, draft season now that teams can actually tell the truth about what they want to do and, team, and fans and everyone else will be like, oh, they don't like that guy. They said they like him. Yeah. But it's, then they actually like take one, that guy. Mm-hmm. It's like one great big game. It's one great big mind game. And, and if anyone's guessed, but the, the problem is all these people sit at home and they, they hang off of every word that comes from these quote-unquote reliable sources. And, I mean, those sources may in fact be reliable, but the information they're getting... I mean, those guys could be pawns for all you know, just pawns in a, in a larger game. So the thing that comes out today uh, through uh, Bleacher Report is that the Dolphins are, what was the quote, falling in love with Doriel Green Beckham. Sounds I nice. The, I, like how they're I, I believe the terminology was a reclamation project. Yes, I like that. How, uh, how highbrow is that? The reclamation project. Well, I can't say that I disagree with the idea. That's pretty much what he would be. He'd have to be worked on night and day, fixing all of the issues that he's had to deal with. He's been not, he's been behaving himself so far, dealing with his with his brother living there with him. So that's a good thing. However, can you trust him later on? Can you trust him? Can you let him loose in South Beach, where? The the party scene is just a few miles away. That's the only danger with Doyle Green Beckham to me is this: that can you trust him to behave himself? I'm not doubting his talent. We've I've never been a doubter of his talent. He could very well be the next Megatron. My only issue is can you trust him off the field? When you have somebody who has possibly more issues than a Josh Gordon, but could possibly have just as much talent as Calvin Johnson, it becomes a real splitting hairs kind of deal here. And just because it's the Dolphins, I really can't see them even going anywhere near DGB, but it's the off season and people need rumors to make sure they get their stories out there. And well, Matt Miller sure put out a good one now, because if you're going to say that we're falling in love with Doriel Green Beckham, arguably the most controversial draft prospect in the draft this year, then yeah, I'd say that's a pretty big rumor and I just can't see there being any sort of legitimate interest there. I just like the notoriety in the in the acronym DGB, throwing it out there. Um, but the one thing you said about him being in South Beach, and I mean, if he's a true problem, he's going to find trouble anywhere. 
I mean, you could you could stick them in in Jacksonville, in North Florida, which is about as boring a place as I've ever been. And I'm well, aside from some, you stick him in Iowa, he won't find any trouble there. There's nothing in Iowa. There's just corn. Yeah, well, and corn makes whiskey. Yeah. So, um, what do you think, Duke? Are you excited about this? If uh, if there's <clears> any, you know, shred of truth in it, is it something you want to be true, or do you read it? and just think the Dolphins are trying to desperately get one of those. And they could be trying to bait San Francisco for all we know. It, it could be really anyone in that first round. You I, you have to figure that there's a team in the second half of round one that looks at Doriel Green Beckham and thinks, we're okay with this, getting this guy a babysitter. We are willing to do what it takes to get this guy. So how yeah, do you feel I about this whole thing? Well, the first – when the first uh, first thought when when you were saying all this stuff was um, <clears throat> this is trade bait pretty much um, they're wanting some team like um, uh, say the Chiefs or um, uh, one of those other teams that may be interested in the lower part of the draft to move up so the Dolphins can move down uh, so that that's kind of where I would think of it at this point. It's basically saying, we love this guy, but if you love him more, you're going to have to get to 14 to get him. But uh, one thing that I will say is that the old Dolphins, I I don't think we'll take a look at DGB. I think with with Mike Tannenbaum in there, um, I I, I think he's going to – I think they're going to start looking at some some more – I don't want to say – character issues kind of guy, but riskier players, riskier guys like that than they would be in the past. I don't think you're going to have these uh, team captains, um, you know, perfect character kind of guys. I think they're going to take a risk on some guys. And I, it, it all it all depends. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, clearly it's just, if you think this guy is like a, you know, you've scouted him, you've watched his tape, and you don't think this guy can – can do a lot for your team, and you thought, well, you know, maybe not. But then you've got a guy that, with the potential that DGB has to become a an elite a wide receiving prospect, then that, that may be one that you take a chance on. The good thing is, with that, is now that you have the, the uh, rookie scale in place, I mean, you're not really necessarily, you know, you're not out money-wise. You're not paying this guy a ton of money to uh, be something he's not. But this, the risks are still there. But I mean, well, here's my question. First glance, who is first glance? I think it's is crazy, he, mate, but is he is he worthy of consideration at 14? Considering the baggage, the fact that you're probably going to get him, have to get him a Des Bryant babysitter, especially if he, you know, there's a point made, made living in South Florida and whatnot. Is that worth the risk, or would you just rather go elsewhere? If you're talking about if you're including the off the field, then probably not at 14. No, but without the off the field issues, truth be told, he'd probably be the top prospect in this draft. No question. What do you think, I don't. Dick? I don't know. I mean, it's all going to hinge on the interviews. I mean, because he's a young guy, he's made some mistakes. If you go through the interview process, you get to know this guy, and he seems like he's. Um, He's changed. He seems like he's he, he understands what that could have cost him, and he, he's real. He's ready now to change and 
uh, turn himself into a high-quality football player, then I, I would consider that risk because there's always going to be a risk with players. Um, <clears throat> for example, I read uh, I read some stuff this offseason about Julius Thomas, that some of the players in the Denver locker room um, said he was basically just out to get money. He just wanted his big contract and he was done, that he didn't his effort level was going to drop. I don't know how true that kind of stuff is, but here's a guy that's been playing well, and now he's at risk for something like that. So it's everywhere in there. My well, what I, what I, I, would look at, I would stick to my draft board mainly. I would look at what players are there, and do I think that I could get, in other words, if I'm looking at, say, a cornerback or a linebacker or whatever at that position, and I kind of have them rated, do I think – it, to me, I would be like, well, can I get a better linebacker or whatever in the second round and get DGB, or would I be better to get the linebacker I want at 14 and then get a receiver that I have pegged in the second round? True. Uh, one thing I want to ask, and then I want to go to the phones because we have our first caller, and another thing I want to bring up is if you guys, anyone listening wants to call in tonight and talk about anything Dolphins-related or if you want to talk to Duke about Van Halen, and Bald David Lee Ross, the number is 347-326-9461. We welcome just about any conversation you can bring. I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, actually, we'll go to the caller first, and then we'll continue this discussion, because we have Lewis on the whole time, so uh, I don't have to shuffle anything around. So we're going to go to, I believe it's New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, hello, caller, you're on the air. Yes, man, what's going on, man? This um Donald Cook calling from New Jersey. Um, I was just wondering. I'm good, man. Hanging in there. Can't wait for some football. Getting ready. Um, So yeah. So today I was reading that you know we was um you know I guess interested in um DGB. I I think that's a great pick, man. But not at 14. I think you know I think he's worth taking in the first round. But we would have to trade out of 14 to take him. Do you have any? Spots that any teams you've looked at thinking that that could be a potential trade destination for us? I know a lot of people are saying Cleveland at 19. But they need a receiver also, so. Um, yeah, it's kind of tough because I, I know a lot of teams um, need receiver. Kansas City need receivers, so it'd be kind of tough. So I know if Parker is gone, then it's like a gamble that, you know, you probably have to take him at 14. But I remember last year when we had the first round pick and we drafted um, James, they said that was a reach, but it turned out to be an excellent pick. So, you know, I guess all depends on your draft board. But I think he's worth the risk, man, because, you know, like we need somebody like that. 6'5", you know, I think, I think you know, um, with Tannehill, can't, you know, he can't throw the deep ball. I think that would be a perfect um, weapon to him. You know, the funny thing is that, I, I get this feeling that suppose the Dolphins do exactly what you just said. They bring in one way or another, they draft Doral Green Beckham, and he's on he's in this wide receiver group. I can just imagine one of the first games, Tannehill just puts it deep and just hits, you know, uh, hits a Green Beckham no problem. I almost called him Beckham Jr. Excuse me. Uh, hits hits him no problem, and then uh, everyone just shuts up about the deep ball. Because it's uh, 
it's just taking it away from everything else right now, which is a crime. Because, I mean, you have this excellent, young, developing quarterback in Miami, and people have waited forever for a guy like that. And it's so funny. I, I have to laugh. I'm kind of all over the place right now. Uh, the fact that a lot, a lot of people on Twitter speak out against Brian Tannehill, and then the uh, the Josh Freeman signing came across late this afternoon. I mean, we'll get to that more in depth a little later on. But that news comes out, and all of a sudden everyone's like, well, what's going to happen to Ryan Tannehill? All of a sudden yeah. people care. I love yeah. that. So, yeah, that's so if that I was think, a... I think... Now go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, if that was uh, if if that was the Dolphins' uh, goal is to bring that guy in and take some heat off of Ryan Tannehill, then they're geniuses, and their their <laughs> PR marketing team should be uh, hired out to anyone. Yeah, but I think I think as like they said, I was reading. You know, I think that's just to help, like you know, the the backup wide receivers, I guess, because you know he he been in the league. You know, he was a what, four thousand. He passed for 4,000 yards. You know, he had, like, what, over about 80 touchdown passes. So, I think, you know, I think that's good because I think, you know, I think, you know, he'll somewhat get them better. And I guess, you know, he'll help make Tannehill a little better. But I, I like Tannehill. It's just that you have to put people around him, you know what I'm saying, to to help to grow with him. Because, like, if you look at it, all the other young quarterbacks, you know, get a, they have a tight end, you know, as a blanket. You know what I mean? So he really don't have a, like a true receiver where he could um where he could play. You know, like where he could go to. Like you know, Clay yeah, was I, I know. Clay, Clay wasn't a go-to guy like that. You know, he was a you know. So I think I think I think Tannehill is good, man. We just have to put the right pieces around him, and I think I think he'd be great. And you know, better protection because you need protection to throw the deep ball. Well, the guy that you're talking I, about on the team is Jarvis Landry. Um, yeah, that is Tannehill's go-to guy now. Um, yeah, now it is. Yes. Yeah, Jarvis Landry is, is, is he? He's the guy now. So he is the. I don't want to say safety valve. He's he he's going to be a, a favored target um, for Tannehill. So that, you know, I mean, in 2012 it was is Brian Hartline almost by default, and then I think with Wallace, I, you know, I think they try to force the ball out to him. I mean, he was the best receiver on the team. Yeah, uh, in 2013. So, and it still wasn't enough for him. Let's make a note of that. Yeah, yeah. But, ten touchdown. That's good, man. I didn't understand, but the uh, one thing that I think that they're doing to go along with what you're saying is there uh, something I've been looking at is uh, catch rate. I think they're getting rid of these receivers for the Dolphins that have these low catch rates. Uh, mm-hmm. Brian Hartline, Brandon Gibson, Mike Wallace all had below sixty percent. Uh, catch rates for the career, yeah, uh, which means they don't get they catch less than less than sixty percent of the times they're targeted. Yeah, um, well, what they've done now, they brought in uh, Cameron, who is who, who works the team. He's going to work well at Tannehill. He's got like a sixty some percent catch rate, um, and that was even with last year with terrible quarterbacks and being hurt. He's, he's he had a bad year, but he's he's a pretty high uh, catch rate guy. Jarvis Landry seventy percent. Uh, Kenny Steele seventy percent. Even Rashard Matthews has a um, above sixty percent for his career. So I think what they're looking at mainly is guys that, and it sounds kind of almost obvious, but they like guys that catch the ball. Um, yeah. I, I think they're going to value Steele's not necessarily for his deep speed, which that's an asset, but for the fact that he's going to catch more targets 
than Mike Wallace will on the same kind of route simply because he's better at catching the, the football. Yes. That's true because Mike Wallace, I think, I've seen a lot of balls where Mike Wallace didn't really fight for it. Like, he didn't give the effort, man, like, because he left a lot of plays on the field. And I think we're still – I think he – you know, I think he'd be better at that. So, I think – you know, I think because Mike Wallace, like, even even last year, man, like, I was telling people that Mike Wallace could have easily had 20 touchdowns. And you might think it's funny, but when you go back and look, like, he left a lot of plays on the field. He don't finish. He you know, like he give up on the run, like the routes, like he don't fight for the ball, the jump balls, all that. Well, that's not Wallace's game. See from Jarvis. But that's the that's last not... thing you see from a guy like Jarvis Landry, which is, I mean, you can tell that they're rebuilding his culture in the wide receiver core. I mean, Landry will fight tooth and nail to get, and, you know, all of the the footballs that in the plays that Wallace left on the field. And I think that. I think it would help if people took a step back and instead of looking at this as a deep ball issue, realize that it's more a chemistry issue as a whole. Yeah, that's I true. mean, for for every, for every play that those guys hooked up on, there'd be, like you said, there are four or five that one way or another get left on the field. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at some point, and the Dolphins were, in my opinion, wise to look at that at that issue and say, we're paying this guy an ungodly amount of money to, number one, throw our quarterback under the bus, and number two, underperform. Because, I mean, 10 touchdowns looks good until you look at the tape and realize what could have been for him and for Ryan Tannehill as well. So, yeah, they were, in my opinion, they were, they were wise to cut bait and move forward. And now they can – now they have Stills, who isn't just a deep threat, uh, can uh, create separation with his ability to run routes. So, you you build from there. you got these guys who are willing to do the dirty work and guys who can work at the and, and, so, I mean, And one thing that I want to add to that, is I know there's a lot of concern with fans that I've seen about skills replacing Mike Wallace's production. And that is a legitimate concern uh, because it's asking a lot for him to say, hey, can you come in and score those 10 touchdowns? However, my uh, my guess is that Mike Wallace's targets were going to go down. Nine of his 10 touchdowns were, were red zone touchdowns. A lot of them were inside the 10-yard line. So it wasn't like yes. he was getting these deeper passes. He had some that he could have had, but it wasn't like that uh, the fact that he was this deep threat was the reason he was scoring touchdowns. He was just targeted in the red zone. I think that was going to go down. I think with adding Cameron and um, they're probably going to add another pass catcher, either a veteran or through the draft or both. I think what you're looking at, Mike Wallace was probably going to see a reduction in targets. He was probably going to be, in my opinion, somewhere around a 50-catch guy next year. Yeah. So are you – to me, if you're paying a guy $12 million a year, you want more than 50 catches. I just don't think he was going to be targeted that much to get that many catches. So when you're talking about replacing Mike Wallace, I think you're talking about Steels becoming a guy getting you know, 80 targets, 50 to 60 catches tops. You're not talking about a guy that's going to come in and get more targets like, like Wallace did. So I, those, those targets and touchdowns and everything else are going to be spread around more so than just to Wallace, yeah. or like it was like that. So it's not just like Steels is replacing that. He's he's going to be a part of the puzzle, but it's going to be spread out more. Yeah. Well, and Kenny Steels brings that. What Kenny Steels brings to the table is a little ex, a little less speed and a lot more of everything else. He's better at he's better hands. He's better at fighting for the football, and he's yeah. better with running his routes. And that what what Duke said is absolutely correct. It's, it's, Wallace's targets were probably going to go down. 
this second year of Lazer's offense, this offense, and this is also part of the reason why the deep ball didn't happen all, all that often, Lazer's offense is a go through your progressions, look for the first guy who's open, and get it there kind of an offense. And that's kind of the way it had to be because, A, there was no time for Tannehill to throw the football, and, B, that's just how the plays were designed. We can talk about Tannehill's lack of accuracy deep all we want to, and we can talk about Wallace uh, running off, getting off his routes and not doing what he's supposed to do. All of that is fine, and we understand it, but in the end, it really, it, it really is moot to, to a certain point because it's just not how Lazer's offense functions. Lazer's offense is not a home run offense. It really is a dink and dunk kind of a thing, a conservative, I'm going to get it to you, and then you're going to go and finish the job, kind of a, a kind of an offense. Yeah. Well, it is a so moot point in that Wallace isn't, isn't around anymore. But it's also what you just said is a great – you should use as a template when we look at these receivers going forward because because of the whole dink and dunk aspect, uh, yards after catch becomes a huge consideration with the receivers yes. going forward. Yes. Which is why and when I you think... look at the guys in this draft, if, if there's a yak potential, uh, go ahead and, and mark it down as a consideration. Because I think – like which is the biggest reason, in my opinion – that Devontae Parker is a candidate to go to us at number 14 if he's not off the board. And everyone looks at him, and, yeah, I mean, uh, you see the leaping ability, the, really almost the ability to hang in the air, and he made some huge high-pointed grabs at Louisville. Uh-huh. But the thing for me that he's got, in addition to very good speed, is that the guy just just works after the catch. Like, he's just a yeah. grinder. Uh-huh. Yeah, and the guy we've been talking about is the same way, Doyle Green Beckham. I mean, yeah. that guy can generate yak as well. Yes. Yeah, he's a yak what, beast. So, and, I, and I think with, Tana, with him, I think we need somebody like that. With Tannehill, I mean, with uh, Cameron and, and, and Beckham, I think that would be awesome, man. Two six five guys, that would be great to have. And I'm gonna yeah, and I'm gonna add on to this by saying that just having those two around should and I say should because I'm still not sure because we have mixed results. It should improve Tannehill's deep ball um, accuracy because I look at it like I look at it like this: Who, what kind of receivers do all of these so-called elite quarterbacks or quarterbacks who are just playing better than Tannehill have? I look at the Dallas Cowboys. Who do they have? With who does Tony Romo have to throw to? That would be Des Bryant. Well, yes. Who can Tony Romo count on when he has to just throw up a prayer and say, "Please catch the ball. I need some help." That would be Des, Des Bryant. He has. Mm-hmm. Tannehill could not do that with Mike Wallace. He cannot throw up a prayer and say that Wallace will come down with it because you can't count on him that way. That's not our game. And Dalton had AJ Green, Stafford had Megatron, and so on and so forth. Yeah, That's and true. I'll just pick on Wallace. None of Tannehill's receivers could do that. No Maybe one, Charles exactly. Clay, but none of them could. So it wasn't like that just because Mike Wallace was on the team. I mean, yeah, he's he had those kind of issues too, but it wasn't like, well, Tannehill's missing him. I need this prayer. I'm just going to throw it up to Brian Hartline. He's not a guy like that either. He had no one. He had all these receivers with very small catch radii that, that made, forced him to, to try to be more accurate. If anything, it's probably helped him simply because he's had to had to become more accurate just to get catches. It's helped him in some ways. It's helped him in some ways because uh, let me let me uh, let me add this. 
because he's had to be so perfect, that's part of that. I think that's a big reason why, in those rare occasions he does throw the deep ball, he does tend to miss a lot because he's not just throwing the football. He's having, yeah. he's, he's forcing himself. He's trying not to aim it, but his everything in his everything in his mechanics is aim the ball. You can't really aim a deep ball. You just kind of have to throw it out there and hope your receiver gets there. I, I, I also thought it was a little bit of a, like watching a kid taking his driving exam with some some grizzled old uh, driving uh, driving teacher next to him. Like he just never, he never ever looked comfortable throwing that ball. So it's something where, the, like I said, the chemistry is not there. The trust isn't there. Wallace repeatedly threw that guy under the bus at the drop of a hat. It's just, it's not going to work. In my opinion, that's irreparable, irreconcilable in a lot of ways, regardless of, I mean, Tannehill was talking about how he's excited to go into the season with them. I'm glad we're not because, I mean, the, everything you guys just mentioned, it's not the style of receiver we want going forward. And you look at a lot of teams' deep threats. You just mentioned Des Bryant. Des Bryant's a four or five guy. Jordy uh, Nelson, uh, really, for the most part, Aaron Rodgers' biggest deep threat. I mean, he was a four or five one guy coming out of Kansas State. So, I mean, the thing is, you don't – it just because now, even though Kenny Stills has great speed, the fact that you don't have this 4-3 speed on the roster in uh, Wallace anymore doesn't mean that the deep ball is going to go away. But I think you're going to see it. You're going to see it transform into something else. And, I mean, Tannehill's been fine throwing the deep ball to other guys as long as they're not wearing number 11. So, which, mm-hmm. I mean, if you think if uh, – so, it just wasn't going to work. Gonna, I'm glad it's, that – It's going gonna, it's, it's to get better. It's going to get better. I have – that's, I have some very interesting numbers right in front of me, guys, because, and I'm going to say them because I think these are very, very, very uh, significant. In, my, in Tannehill's career, in all his career, and this is with Wallace on the team, he's completed 25% of his deep passes. Only one-fourth of his deep passes, specifically to Wallace, got completed. Now here's his career with anybody who's not Wallace, 44.44%. That's almost half of his deep balls that are not to Wallace. Mm-hmm. So, that's why I always get upset when people are saying that he can't throw the deep ball. No, he just can't throw the deep ball to Wallace. He's got yeah. that everybody else, and oftentimes those get dropped. Yeah. And, and let me add to that that the NFL considers anything over 20 yards as a deep pass. So I know a lot of – I've seen a lot of – discussion where it comes up, well, what about a pass over 40 yards or a pass over this? Those are naturally harder to hit because they're farther away. Unless you have statistics for all the other quarterbacks, you know, that's not a general general rule. So, well, I don't consider it. I've seen comments that say, well, I don't consider a deep pass anything. It has to be over 30 yards. Well, it's going to be hard to find those kind of stats because the NFL does not consider that. Anything 20 yards or farther is considered a deep pass. So, you know, some of those uh, a deep crossing route like that or, uh, you know, something like that, that's, that's considered a deep pass. So that adds into those stats. So a lot of them will say, they'll say, well, you know, I only care about the, you know, the nine route kind of stuff. But, you know, that that's not how it works. And even then, we have plenty of evidence on drops and him hitting those passes to other people. So, you know, whatever. And then they get dropped. Yeah, with Matthews yeah, but, and Williams uh, and Hartline, and suddenly Tannehill's confidence just drops like a stone. 
But like I think, like you pointed out, man, I just think that, you know, it's time for him to get like a true number one receiver to where, because a lot of times, like if you notice, man, you watch and these number one receivers, like sometimes, you know, they make the quarterback, well, whether they make adjustments to come back to the ball, you know, or they fight for the ball. You know, sometimes a lot of throws ain't accurate, but the receiver, you know, make adjustments. You know, and I think we just need a number one receiver that we can really rely on, whether it's the game on the line. Like you said, you could throw it up to Des Bryant. You could throw it up to Calvin Johnson and, you know, for him to catch it. You know what I mean? So I think that it's time to get him one of those because, well, he's been in the league how many whatever years, and he ain't never really have a true number one. So I think it's that time, you know, to get him one. This draft is yeah. deep. And I think, and I think you get him one, and I think he can get the job done. And you get him all the perfect there. Is that these these other quarterbacks around the league have a guy that can bail exactly. him out, and I don't think a lot of these fans that, that say Tannehill can't hit the deep ball watch these other quarterbacks. I mean, you go watch. To, to case in point, there was a, a deep pass touchdown to uh, Kenny Stills last year from from Drew Brees. Uh, there was a busted coverage somewhere, and Kenny Stills just ran down the sideline. Drew Brees saw it. Boom, boom the ball, he ran in for a touchdown. What no one would ever say because of the way the play happened was that Drew Brees threw the ball short and Kenny Stills had to wait on it. He didn't uh-huh. get streak down the sideline and hit him in stride. He had to stop, wait, catch it. But because nobody was around, he was able to run in for a touchdown. Now, if that had been Tannehill in the same situation, because I've seen this, uh, I've seen people post this stuff on Twitter. Uh, it's what an Dolphins fan. It's actually a Vikings fan. He said he, he was making these uh, uh, gifs or gifs, whatever you call it, online, and put them on Twitter. And he was saying, "Here's the one that here's the one that Ten Hill missed because Wallace had to wait a step on the ball." And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, Drew Brees is one of the most accurate passers in the NFL, and he's throwing a deep ball that his deep threat receiver has to wait on to catch. Why yes, isn't sir. anyone talking about that? It's the yeah. reason because those receivers can bail him out in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just a culmination of stuff. Yeah, I think yeah, I think once he got a receiver, man, I mean, like you said, man, like every year he's improved. Like, he needs a true number one. And I think if we get him one this year, he can get the job done. Better running game. You know, Albert come back healthy. Uh, you know, put um, James back at right tackle. You know, get some guard in there. I think, you know, I think he'd be awesome, man. I think we definitely could be a playoff team. And I think with Sue. We're going to. Uh, I'll go ahead. Make your last point. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think with Sue on the defense, man, you know, we it's going to be where it's going to be a lot of chance where we get good field, you know, good field possession. And I think, I think we're going to be good, man. You get that. You get that because uh, the only thing we're missing, man, is the number one receiver that could give you a big play. You come out first and ten, you at the 40-yard or the 30-yard line first and ten and just go for a touchdown. Sometimes you need plays like that. And I think with a number one receiver, you get plays like that, you know, you'd be good to go. Because you see Tom what, Brady, Tom Brady come out, hit his number one receiver, uh, two plays, and they already in field goal range. Three plays, they're already in field goal range. We need, we don't really have nobody like that. Yeah. Can I have some fun um, with you just gonna, for a second here? Well, actually, I want to go ahead and uh, uh, move things along a little bit, but uh, I had a question for him too, so go ahead. Okay. I'm looking at the pro football focus stats. 
Guess where Ryan Tannehill right. ranks in QB deep deep in accuracy. Out of 25 quarterbacks in the NFL, over 50% of the passes thrown, where does Tannehill rank? Uh, about 13? Uh, 12. Actually, he's right. It's 13. Let me read you the list of players who are under him. So get ready for this. Matthew Stafford, mm-hmm. Nick Foles, Eli mm-hmm. Manning, Kyle Orton, Andy Dalton. Here's the big one. Tom Brady. Mm. Colin Kaepernick, Jay Cutler, Cam Newton, Geno Smith, Blake Bortles, and Derek Carr. Mm. So that was just for this past year. Mm-hmm. So there you go. We're going to talk about how Tom Brady throws deep passes and gets them on the time. Um, no, actually, he's uh, he's tied for 17th while Tannehill is 13th. So no, no, no. I'm not saying. Any- I'm, no, I'm just saying, like, you know, I was just using him as an example that, you know, like him, whether it's him or. Even when we played the Broncos, like Peyton Manning came in like two plays, he was already in field goal range. I'm just saying we need a couple, you know, like a guy where could give us like, you know, at least two games like that. Where you two plays, you in field goal range. You know, I'm just saying we need something like that. You know, like a number one receiver where you could just get you two big plays and you in field goal range. I understand what you're coming from. I absolutely do. But my thinking at this point in time is, I I would much rather. Have find a way to give Tannehill his O line for once in his career yeah. much more than I would rather than I, than I would like to have a number one receiver. We can get by with our current dink and dunk wide receiver core, but we need to keep Tannehill off of his back. This yeah, is it's unacceptable true. that he's been sacked this many times in only three years. Yeah, yeah you're right. That is true. I agree with that. I can run so, with that. Before we before we move on, the one question I want to ask is. If you stay at number fourteen, given the whole discussion we just had, who what player are you going to take? If who's on the board, do you want that? If who? I mean, me. If Parker is still on the board, I take Parker. To be honest, I take Parker. If Parker is still on the board, if Parker and Cooper on the board, uh, which I mean, I'm you know I know that won't happen. I will probably take um. Cooper over Parker. I think that the uh, it's almost like Cooper's name is starting to heat up again. Too. For a while, it looked like a lot of people were projecting that he was going to fall out of the top ten. Now it looks like he's right in there. And he got some new players, too. For a while, it looked like Chicago was going to go defense. Now a lot of people think they're going to go offense. They're going to take their receivers. So that whole uh, that big three... One thing, one thing. I just don't want us to take a cornerback at fourteen, man, because I see that a lot of corners don't really pay out. I mean, like you have to wait on them. Like, I, I don't want to wait on a player like Deion Jordan. Like, we, we took him number th- three, and we still trying to figure out what to do with him. I just need somebody that could come in, whether it's offensive lineman. I, I just need somebody that's gonna come in because. When you look at Dallas, and Dallas was drafting a the center, they said it was a reach. But you look at them now, and you go back and you say, "Wow." You know, because you need an offensive line. So, to me, to be honest, at 14, I just need somebody that's going to come in and make a difference, whether it's the offensive line, man, no matter what it is. I just need somebody that's going to come in and play right away and make a difference. Hello? I can roll with I can roll with that. Yeah, I mean, that you know, because I corner, man, I think it just – look at Dean Mina. Like, it just I, – I know it's all a gamble, but I just, I just don't think we need a corner because I think Taylor is good, so – 
whether it's a receiver or a, I don't I don't think we need a linebacker at fourteen because Komishi was awesome and with with Sue I think he's gonna even be better. So I just think it's really up to a whether it's a guard or offensive lineman or a wide receiver. I think. You know the margin for error at our inside linebacker spot is. Uh, infinitely greater now that we got Sue in there. There's no doubt about that. Still yeah. a lot of interest and in I, that inside linebacker, depending on what what mocks you look at. It's it's an interesting uh, it's an en- interesting set of fans out there, in, in that a lot a lot of them think that they want that corner at 14. There's obviously the big camp for the wide receiver. A lot of people think a linebacker is in there. I, I'm I'm good with most of them. I would really like. A, a guard, somebody who can really help us tie our, our yeah. line together. Mm-hmm. Because I think we've I got our. Go ahead. I was going to say we got our next caller, but I'll let you finish up. Oh no, no, it's fine, man. You go ahead. I don't want to take up the whole line because my son is banging on my oh, door okay. right now because I locked him out. Not a problem at all. It's not, it, Sounds like you had a, a point you wanted to make, so uh, I definitely want you to get it out there. No, 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 no. I was just, no. That's all I was saying. I just said, you know, a guard be good. I just like I said, you know, like Deion Jordan for instance, perfect example. Like last year, linebacker was the weakest link, you know, on defense. So why not? You see him cover Calvin Johnson, Gronkowski. So why not? Um, Wheeler was he? He was he was horrible. So I didn't see, you know, I didn't see why you don't give him a shot over there as a linebacker. He's a freak already. Like, why, you know, why not give him a shot? Because I think I think he'd be better at linebacker. Because defensive line was our strength. You have Shelby that come in there. You have Fade that come in there. So I think why not put him at linebacker? I think that he's yeah. six six. He's six six. You put him to cover anybody, you're going to think twice to throw it over there because he can keep up with your 6'6". Six, six. You're going to have to put that ball on the money to get it over there to whoever he's covering. I'm, per- I'm pretty sure I'd take you over Wheeler uh, at this point. Uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so you with that, uh, thanks, thanks, for, uh, thanks for giving us a call. And um, we'll be, give us a call next week again, and uh, we'll chat, chat more. All right, man. All right, buddy. Take care. All right, y'all have a good one, man. Hope hope everything go well with this draft, man. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right, and this number I could just call this number at any time. Uh, yeah, when we're when we're on the air. Okay. All right, man. Have a great. Yeah, one. Give us a call. You right. too. Thank you. Have a good night. Uh, before we bring in our uh, our next guest, one thing I wanted to bring up is uh, I'm reading some stuff about Marcus Peters Pro Day. Evidently, it went well, which, I mean, you expected it to. There's a growing consensus that he's the best cover corner in the draft. So what do you guys think? I, I Actually, I know what Duke thinks. What do you think, Lewis? I, I have a problem with Trey Wayne. I would not really have that big of an issue with Marcus Peters. Peters is by far the better prospect when it, than Wayne's, and I still wouldn't pick him at 14 because we have other issues to deal with other than corner because I'm still a believer in Jamar Taylor, and I expect him to take that job regardless of what we pick at corner or not. But I wouldn't be raging if the pick was Peters. I would be raging if the pick was Wayne's. 
Dick, what do you think? I mean, I don't like Peters as much as I like uh, Desmond Trufant. I'll say that. Um, But there's just so much stuff out there, um, good analysis both for and against players. Um, I mean, I went the other night and I watched some tape on Wayne's. My, my, from what I saw, he might not be as bad in Miami scheme as as he would others. Uh, for example, he looked okay when he was able to keep the play in front of him. When he would turn uh, and face the quarterback, kind of like our cornerbacks do, he was okay. He looked like he struggled a little bit when he had to play press or he was he was lined up right up against the court, uh, the receiver. With uh, with Peters, I've seen, you know, he makes some mistakes, but he makes some plays, too. So I've read that he's not polished. I've read that he is polished. So at this point, I mean, I would still take Peters over wings based on what I've seen, but I'm really going to have to watch more tape on him just to even get a, to get a better feel for it. Um, I don't think the issue with I don't think the issue with Peters has anything to do with his talent. I think it's more the off the field stuff once again that's making him drop. He's a he's a he's a, he's way better in my opinion than Wayne's is as a prospect as a, in just talent wise, but he's a knucklehead, and that's the issue that's going to hold him back. If if I had to take if I had to pick a corner right now that I think would fit everything that Miami wants, scheme wise, talent wise. Uh, leadership-wise, all of that good kind of all all that stuff in one thing. Kevin Johnson would be the cornerback. Yeah, he'd be nice you and I, you and I watched him. Uh, he's not a tackler, so if you're asking him to go up and somehow suddenly become like this tackling stud, you're going to be missing out. But he 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 plays the off coverage like Miami does. He reacts well. He's got good foot speed. He turns next plays on the ball. Um, I mean, just he seems to fit everything that they would like in a cornerback. Now, I don't think they take him at 14. If they trade down, he's an absolute candidate for that. Um, I mean, they may surprise and take him at 14. I just don't see that. But, I mean, I don't necessarily like him more than Peters, but I think for what the Dolphins would want, he's probably going to fit better simply because because of all that other stuff, the off the field and whatever. Yeah, I, I think if you're into hips, you're you're really into grading cornerbacks on their hips. Kevin Johnson's probably going to be your guy because that guy's hips are. I I think the one term I saw used, and I really agree. I mean, he's liquid. I mean, there's just there's no tightness. He's just real fluid and easy. Uh, we'll go to the phones real quick. Uh, we had an influx of callers. I'm just going to catch up with those right now. Uh, I believe that our uh, next caller is uh, from Carolina. Caller, you are on the radio. How's it going, man? How y'all doing out there? Good. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Uh, enjoy listening to your show. Been listening to it for a little while. I, got, I, I uh, was a little late, but uh, I'm listening. And uh, I caught, caught the tail end of the last guy that was on here and all. I heard y'all talking about the draft. And if I ain't mistaken, I want to say I heard you saying that uh, 
you would like to let's draft an offensive lineman, a guard. I could agree with you 100% on that. I feel like we should either uh, trade back and get an offensive lineman if there's not a good one at 14. But we, the thing that I'm, that I'm with is solidifying that line for Tannehill. And two, I think our, on the, uh, if we fall back and go maybe to the second round or however we acquire, but it should be offensive guard and then it should be a good running back. I'm talking a one not necessarily that can uh, always, you know, get the, get the yardage, but a good blocking running back. Somebody that can sit back there, because we haven't had it. We tried it with Thomas, and uh, he couldn't do it. Lamar Miller can't hardly do it. But to give him that, that second opportunity to have, you know, someone back there that's dependable that can block back there in the back, what do you think? Well, the the cruel joke in all of this is that for a long time, secretly my favorite prospect in this draft has been uh, Lyle Collins. And a lot of people are like, well, he's a left tackle. Well, no, he's going to end up being a left tackle guard tweener. I mean, yep. uh, but he, I saw his weight was down a little bit, which I like, because for a while there I was worried he was going to be too heavy. But he was the guy I had a lot of interest in. I think that he's going to be a real good one. And now, suddenly, yeah. within the past uh, week and a half, I'm seeing all these mocks coming out, and he's in top ten in a lot of them, which just drives me drives me nuts because I thought that we were going to get a crack at that guy. So, and maybe, maybe we what? do, but he's a he's a guy I really like. Uh, the thing is, we talk about all these receivers, and I, of course, have an I'm an offense guy. I always have been. I think that if you grew up watching this, grew up during the Marino era, era, it was hard not to. Just because I mean, it just felt like felt like scoring points was so easy and it was fun to get into. But looking at all these receivers becomes a moot point if you're letting your your quarterback get destroyed back there. That's right. And I mean, and I mean, what is well, the count it, now? 139 sacks are we at now with Tannehill? Yep. Somewhere around there. One less than I mean, one less than David Carr in his three years. Yeah, and that didn't now, work you out. Give, you give that man. You give that guy, you give Tanny Hill more time to sit back there in the pocket. And Kenny Steele, you know, Landry, Matt, Matt Hazel, uh, Matthews. You ask me, we still got a great receiving core, but we've got a bunch of hungry receivers. We want, you know, somebody that's ready to, to make a name for themselves and get out there. That's what I like. Now we need to allow Tanny Hill to sit in that pocket and give him another second or two to be able to throw the ball and get it downfield, you know. And, and like I said, well, it wouldn't hurt to let's get, you know, a good tailback somewhere in the draft. I like the guy from um, Ohio, from from uh, from the uh, Buckeyes. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, wait, the wait, the wait. one thing I always come. Well, hang on, hang on, guys, hang on. I understand what you're trying to say, man. I understand you want you want you want this guy who's going to come in and pretty much be Marshawn Lynch for the Miami Dolphins, and I understand that. I, I can, not I, necessarily. I can well, you want a you want a power runner. I want someone that can block in the backfield. I want because we haven't had it. 
whenever you know they they can go out there you know fake the fake the handoff do whatever like Tanny Hill right now he's doing a little bit of a read option here lately they've been doing it and with these short passes and stuff if you've got a man back there that you can fake it off to or whatever sometimes hand it off to but if he can stand somebody up in the backfield and not allow him to get on Tanny Hill man you got something there and like I said it's I'm talking about a big body blocker. I'm, you know, someone that can can block. And then when we get, you know, a yard or two, we need a yard or two. Well, you can hand it, just hand him the ball. But uh, you know, as far I like our running back core we got now. I just don't think we've got someone that can block back there. And also, too, I agree with you. You know, if we were to get an offensive guard, I think you know that would help out a lot. But uh, one thing, you know, one thing about the blocking backs, I think a lot of it is just it's it's want to. I remember watching uh, it was the 2011 Senior Bowl, and they were doing uh, they were doing um, pass protection drill, and Kendall Hunter was out there, and he's a little guy, like five ten, five nine, five ten, not a big back, and he was standing up linebackers. I mean, these guys outweighed him by thirty, forty pounds. Bigger than he was, they would run in the backfield, and he would just stonewall them. I was like, "Yeah, I like a guy like that." And no one would consider him necessarily a power back. So, yeah, I feel saying we Miami really doesn't have a great pass protecting back. I mean, Daniel Thomas was supposed to be the best one we had, and he wasn't really good. That's right. Um, and in that regard, I'm not opposed to you know bringing back Lewis's dude, uh, No. Sean Moreno. That was something he yes. was better at, but. Yeah, I agree with that. But, you know, and I'm all for the wide receiver. Look, if they draft Oil Green back in the first round, I'm not going to complain or whoever. But going along with what Keith said, if Miami were to somehow pull off a first and second round combo of Lael Collins and Nelson Aguilar, I'd be cool with that too. And the good thing about Collins is if Miami were able to get him, you know, he is a he's a left guard now. He's also a guy that you can move from left guard to left tackle in a, in a year or two if something happens to Alfred. So that's a main you know, point that's you, been brought you, up too. That he he you provides might still a guard. plan as well. Yeah, you might. We well, all know in a couple of years, but we well, all know I'm a South Carolina man. I'm calling from South Carolina, so I love my Gamecocks. But uh, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't pass up maybe in the second late third round. Uh, our offensive lineman here in South Carolina. You got to think. Uh, this young man went up against, yeah, and he went up against Jadavion Clowney. You know, most of his, you know, Jadavion was drafted last year. So, I mean, you know, do the tape on him and, and, and look at him. I mean, as far as second, third round draft pick late, you know, I think this guy would be a, a, a very good prospect. Well, here's the thing I keep coming back to when when we have the discussion about offensive linemen because some people get sour about it and they feel like we're wasting our picks. I'm not sure why they feel no. that way, but it's a, it's a popular popular mindset it seems. I feel that I always go back to in 1990 when the Dolphins added a significant amount of years to Dan Marino's shelf life by drafting Richmond Webb and Keith Sims in consecutive rounds. That's something where if we did that today, I think a lot of people would complain. But I remember watching those 90s teams, and the left side of Miami's line was pretty much impenetrable. It was outstanding. 
the thing is, I feel good about having Brandon Albert in there. I don't feel good about our left guard situation right now. That's something that needs to be addressed. It needs to be upgraded. The sooner, the better. Dallas Thomas, because anybody like, who felt good would need to be drug tested. <laughs> yeah. Good thing I don't. Good thing I need to be drug tested for. Yeah. Uh, I will say I am. I think there's some, a lot of Dolphins fans who. I understand the trepidation because of what happened with Dallas Thomas, but I am still really, really high on on, on Billy Turner. Uh, that guy's yeah. gonna be good. Just, yeah. Just just mark it down. He's starter. He's gonna do as best as you can hope for, if not more, at the right guard position. Just don't worry about it. You've got a center, a right guard. You got your right tackle, your left tackle, left guard is where, what you need. So. These articles that were written, oh, Miami needs a bunch of guards. No, they don't. They've got one Billy Turner. He hasn't produced yet, but he's going to give it time. And the reason I can say that was because we watched Dallas Thomas in preseason two years ago when he was a rookie, and I was like, man, that guy does just not look good. You watch Billy Turner, and you're like, that guy looks really good. I mean, it's just, to me, it's just simple. You watch him in the Jets game at the end of the year, uh, the Dolphins gave up like a bajillion sacks, a ton of pressures. The offensive linemen, according to PFF, were graded horribly. The only player who did not was Billy Turner at right tackle. Uh, in 19 snaps, that's all he got, 19 snaps, he had 12 in pass protection. He did not allow one pressure. I know it's a very small sample size, but I read that and I was like, yeah, I saw that coming. It's just funny yeah. that I remember for the longest time it was the the left side of our line was the, the part that was locked up and the right side was just the – an incredible issue for us, and now it's the other way around. Because, I mean, moving forward, I feel great about James and Turner on the right side, and I feel good about Albert if he can stay healthy. But that left guard needs to be addressed, and I, I would like to do well, it let some, me ask somewhere in this draft. Well, let me ask you this question also. Now, um, what, Dallas Thomas, this was uh, this is his second year, right? Third um, year. Third. Now, Okay. Well, this year too, and 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 this, I don't think a lot of people are looking at is once again, it's going back to McDonald Sue. McDonald Sue is going to line up in front of every one of our offensive linemen this year. You can bet, and he's going to put each and every one of them to the test. I mean, you know, yeah, the man got paid a lot of money, but I still think that uh, I think he's gonna he's gonna I think that was a great signing, and I really think oh, with no Dallas doubt. Thomas, maybe just maybe there is there's some more there. You know, you know, we give a guy two one two three years. You know, we we hard on him. I know he kind of he did so. I, I mean, we just got to admit it. But maybe he can, you know. With having that pressure every day, or you know, or during training camp and so forth, maybe it helps a lot. You know, it'll help. But the other thing I wanted to say to you, um, you brought up Dan Marino, and uh, I would really hate to see Tanny Hill end up like Dan Marino with the cask on his legs and couldn't hardly move, had to stay in the pocket. You know, we got a guy. Tony Hill that I believe in a lot. I like his size. I like his ability. I like the way he can run. And if we do not solidify that line, you know, 
it's not going to be good for us. It's not. So go ahead. Let's let's put all our uh, you know all our money in one egg basket or whatever, and let's go get us some guards, man, and and get what we need on the offensive line. We done took care of the defense. I feel safe. I feel good with Will Davis, Jamal Taylor. You know, I feel good with them guys back there. Well, I'm going to address your first. I'm going to address your first point. Um, I, I understand your logic in thinking that Indominus Sue will be a, a major impact in improving the offensive linemen because they're going to be facing the best defensive tackle in football. I get what you're trying to say there, but Thomas could not handle Randy Starks, and I'm not saying Randy Starks is a slouch, but even he's not Indominus Sue. But right. man, I mean. If if Thomas well, no, no, no. is constantly getting his lunch then, and taking some of my you would have to go back to the De- no 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 you'd have to go back to the Detroit game when Sue absolutely annihilated Mike Pouncey because if, yeah, if we're talking about Pouncey, tip tat here oh. then it's it's just never going to work if but if they're going against the practice I don't have an issue with letting those guys out there and letting five fight uh, fend for themselves against Adamic and Sue I'm not but one I'm quick not, thing I mean I. Yeah, sure. Just one quick thing in there. The thing about it is, too, guys, is each one of them players that y'all have all talked about has played out of their position, even Dallas Thomas. You know, put them all, even uh, Mike Pouncey, he was playing guard when he was supposed to be a center. You know, put all of them, you know, once we get everybody out there on the field, you know what I'm saying? I I, I don't know. I just – I understand what you're saying, you know. but even – Pouncey out of position is better than Dallas Thomas in position. So, I, yeah, I mean, that, I, I that's mean, one I, thing about. I mean, you can you can practice at training camp and get all that stuff, but it's really there's no there's no real substitution for when you're actually out there on the field playing against other competition. And as far as the left guard position goes, I. I I don't want to say Dallas Thomas was good by any means, but I thought he was making some subtle improvements. I didn't think he was the right. huge liability at left guard. He was at right tackle. Then they moved him to right tackle, and it was a disaster. So, I mean, I don't want to say I'm not. I'm absolutely not comfortable with him there. But I think if he had stayed there all season, we might have seen enough improvement from him to where we could say. Yeah, it's not the best, but we could, you know, it's not bad. Right. And we're just not at that point right now. I don't know that we will get there, but I think just moving him around a lot is not wasn't wasn't helpful at all. You got more faith in him than I do, Duke. I think he's going to get faster no matter where he <laughs> no, goes. Now listen, I, just, listen, I, I watched yes. Ger- we watched Gerald McCoy like knock him out of the ground, and two seconds later, Tannehill was on the ground. Yeah, I had a problem with that. Yeah, and but I mean, that was when he was in but his again, position. It's the same thing with with Sue and McCoy. Those guys are going to do that to just about every kind of guard in the NFL. Uh, you know, especially if they're single teamed. I don't know what was going on with, with Thomas on that case, but you know, I, I, it's not that I have faith in him. I mean, if, if the Dolphins draft Brandon Sheriff, I'm like, go ahead and just mark him in as your starting left guard and be done. Now I have a problem with replacing him, but you know. I don't like him as the starter, but I'm not ready just to give up on him and go ahead and cut the guy yet. I think the guy can still right. can still be a player. Uh, I just think his 
you know, I still think his development was hindered a little bit by moving him to right tackle, a different set of different set of techniques and stuff, and that's just not his game. Had he stayed at right at left guard all season, he may have he may have played well enough to where you know he's kind of like the fans are like, yeah, okay, we can make do with him. You know, it's yeah. not the glaring need that it is now. So you're making me hey, a little. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I'm not. I'm not saying stick with him. I'm not saying. He's I, know, I know. I know. I know. I'm saying he could. He could have. Again, it's it's the kind of the same thing. I know we've talked about this before with Jamar Taylor. Is we don't know what we have in him. A lot of people believe in him, but had he played all of last year, started all of last year, even if he was a liability to begin with, we would know more about him this year, and we don't because just limited snaps. And that's one place that. Uh, I know it's a, kind of a joke between me and CT that we disagree with a lot of stuff on the site. That's one place I absolutely agree with him. No more of these stopgap veterans to come in and uh, to, to take a position. Let the young guys play. If they're bad, they're bad. We know they're bad. But we don't know what we've got in some of these players because we brought in a veteran right. playing from or whatever else like that. So, But I, I know you and I, uh, Lewis, are, are both on the Jamar Taylor bandwagon, so... And that's the diff- that's the difference right. I wanted to say here, Duke, is that the difference between Taylor and Thomas, I don't think it's a fair comparison because we've seen a lot of flashes from Jamar Taylor. We've seen possibilities of greatness. We've barely seen flashes of average from Dallas Thomas. Why is it that we why is it that we're more comfortable with Billy Turner having seen almost nothing right. than we are with Dallas Thomas and we've actually seen it? That's because right. we like the work that Dallas Thomas does for the Sun Sentinel. He writes good stuff. For <laughs> Marty, uh, we got to go ahead and move on to our next caller. Thanks for giving us a call. Okay. And uh, give us a call again next week. We love hearing from you. Yeah, man. Uh, one other thing, too, just real quick and back this quick. Sure. Uh, do me a big do me a big favor this week, man, and let's give a holler out to um, – I'm, I'm, I'm sick of reading all the stories about Mike Tannenbaum. Let's give Dennis Icky uh, – shout man i think he's really doing a good job down in miami and uh i, th- I don't think he's getting the credit that he deserves i think tanning balls coming in and then overshadowing him so uh i've enjoyed your show man and thank you for having me thanks for calling in so it's great to hear from you yeah man yes have a good night yeah okay, good night good night all right all right uh, uh, mike Ten- mike Bomb and dennis hickey no longer exist Separately, they are one merged creation called Hickey Bomb. That's right. That's right. We uh, we geno spliced them in our uh, our laboratory. I need to see this laboratory. It's fine. But no, uh, I don't. I don't know where Duke got the name, but he he he's always called him Hickey Bomb, and I love that. I, I just think made it funny. up one day. It was, it was the best combination I could come up with. It's just yeah, we genome spliced uh, Dickie and uh, and Tannenbaum, and we came out with something all of their strengths, none of their weaknesses. Uh, we're going to take our next <laughs> call. He's been uh, waiting patiently. Uh, we're going to go to the phones, and I believe that next caller in Nashville, you're on the air. Uh, well, I'm actually back in Florida. I just never changed the number. Um, <laughs> never correct me ever again. <laughs> Uh, well, all right. I'm hearing all this 
this stuff about um, Billy Turner and um, man, you just said his name like five hundred times. Um, the other guard, the one. Dallas, we prefer to call him D Train. Yeah. Um, it's a big mountain. Now, as far as Dallas Thomas is concerned, I believe he's the reason why we brought in the the guard. I mean, the center from uh, the Giants, Jaden uh, Walton. Yeah. I mean, the first and foremost, the guy the guy started on a Giants team that was absolutely horrible, but. You know, as far as like him at the position, but I mean, that was at center, and I think they brought him in to kind of be like the veteran competition between Turner and um, D Train, I guess you want to call him. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> um, awesome. I just think that that's why we brought him in. It, it's got absolutely nothing to do with him playing anything backup at center. First off, we already have a backup center. We've had him on the roster for like so so much time. And as we saw last year, the Dolphins are going to do everything to get their best five players up on the front. Just so happened that who's the backup the center? Are, who's the backup center? Um, well, what's his name? Oh. I'm sorry. I Santa Satelli is a free agent. Do I? Santa Satelli is a free agent. No, not Samson Satelli. We had another guy. Um, we've had him for a few years. He's occasionally Sam played Brenner? right guard. Yeah, Sam Brenner. He's occasionally played right guard for us. I think he's also going to get some competition in there at right guard. Um, we we have pieces that we've kind of been grooming. For that, I do believe J.D. Walton's going to be in there for, you know, to be in the mix somehow. But you got to understand, we also have Pouncey going back to his natural position, the center position. Now, with Albert on the left, him, you know, in the middle, and then you have Juwan James on the right tackle, I'm not saying that it's not important to address those positions. I'm saying you've got three players who we know definitely can man the position. And with five brand-new people last year, we started off the season fairly well. It just so happened that our offensive line, man, it was like Hiroshima. They dropped a bomb on our offensive line and players got injured like left and right. But I believe that's the reason why we don't really have such an obvious need to address guard in the offseat or in the draft. Um, But if we do, um, you know I've been pushing two guys, I guess, since the middle of the year. Um, with Lake and Tomlinson and uh, um, uh, Shaquille Mason. Allie Marpet. 
I like Shaquille Mason better for our offense. What would you think? Because we're only going to have the ability to address so many positions in the draft. I think that's why we went so heavy on certain positions this year in free agency. Something's going to have to be done about at least one more receiver just for the fans' sake so that we don't start the season with a fire taking bomb banner flying over the stadium. And I just think there's not enough. If you have to pick one position to not address, which would it be? Okay. Right. Well, Tough question. Okay. Well, for me, this is just me personally. If there was one position that – are we talking – can it be any position or just the positions of any need position. that we've acknowledged? Um, I meant the, the positions position, of need. The positions of need, I mean, we pretty much know what they are. Cornerback, offensive guard, um, wide receiver, cornerback, um, middle linebacker, outside linebacker. Uh, some people say running back. I don't think that's really a need, but um, out of those, because we've only got six picks, which one do you like put the least value on? Well, it depends on where in the draft you're talking, because once you get past the first the first big three of middle linebackers like Paul Dawson and Eric Kendricks and Denzel Perryman, the the inside line, the middle linebacker talent has somewhat of a drop off. So if you don't get one of those guys at that point, I'm feeling that we don't need to really address that because we still have Cole Misi who can handle the job decently as long as he's healthy. Cornerback is if you don't get the first couple of guys you better make sure that you get somebody in the second like a Kevin Johnson because, again, it's a bad it's – a, it's a, the drop-off is pretty significant when it comes to the overall talent. Wide receiver, you can wait until maybe even the third round because the wide, receiver, the wide receivers in this draft are so deep that you can still find very serviceable, very high upside young wide receivers even in the third, maybe even the fourth round of the draft. So that's one I'd be willing to wait on. Cornerback, I think for me, cornerback is the one position I probably wouldn't care about that much because I still have faith in Jamar Taylor. I still have faith in Will Davis. We signed uh, Bryce McCain to handle the slot position. Michael Thomas can jump in there if need be. And the whole idea of running back to me, is it just seems so ridiculous because there's, there's got, at least there's got to be uh, one running back out there who's a vet, who's willing to pay uh, play for a veteran minimum salary. Like whether you bring back Noshan, which would be my personal choice, or if you decide you want to go with a Stephen Ridley, that, that's going to handle the rest of the running back spots because Lamar Miller, Damian Williams, and one of those guys, that's going to handle the what running back core, for, in my opinion. Cornerback is maybe the one thing I would not address in the draft simply because once you get past Peters, Waynes, and Johnson, the talent drop-off is significant enough that you kind of don't want to use a pick on something like that. I don't even see us needing those two. My favorite cornerback in the draft, and it kind of leads off into my second question of, you know, with a plethora of UM 
players going into the draft, which would be your favorite, and which would you most like to see on this team? Oh, you guys. That's an first. easy one for me. It's Philip Dorsett. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. All day. Uh, I mean, but but the thing is, is I mean, we like we talked about earlier when we had the the wide receiver discussion with Green Beckham and whatnot. I, I think that Dorsett measured in at about five ten. So not a big body presence, but the thing is, I really like him as a route runner. Obviously, just stupid speed, just ugly fast that guy. So I mean, you're I mean the the yard after catch potential is built in there. So I mean, the thing is, you can plug him into a, an offense where you're getting the ball out fast, and still you can you can reasonably expect good things to come out of that. And he he's just an awesome receiver. He wants to play for the Dolphins. I understand that that's a, a hometown thing. Although not for everyone, but if I just think that if we could add someone who, because he's not just a deep threat, and I think that when people people get hung up, because what did he run at his pro day? One of his numbers was like a four two four. Yeah, I mean a, something a, a just four two. Ridiculous. Oh my gosh, I think yeah, it was four two seven. Disgusting fast. But the thing is, I mean that's not he's not a one trick pony. He's far from it. I mean he's willing to. I mean he's really improved as a route runner, and I think that he could become like an upper echelon guy in terms of how he handles the route tree, which is enough to sell me. I'm not big on the guy, on guys who who struggle to run routes. I understand that it can be developed. I like a little bit of polish there if possible. I see it that Dorsett's really developing that, and it's easy. He's my guy. Go ahead, Duke. Oh, um, I was... Go back to the your, your first question. If there's one need that's listed that the Dolphins thought need to address, safety. Um, I've not really watched a lot of safeties uh, as far as tape, but um, you know, I, I just don't see this draft. I mean, they might can go for a guy, but it's not something that I would use a high pick on, or even really a pick at all. Um, I like some of the mid-round corners. Uh, guys you could bring in. But, yeah, safety, tight end, running back, those are positions in the draft, even though running back is fairly deep and it wouldn't hurt to get another one. I, I don't know if that's something that you need to uh, need to address on draft day. And I'm, I'm in agreement with Keith. I like Philip Dorsett. And the only thing, really, the biggest knock against him is size. Um, you know, but if you look at guys like T.Y. Hilton, um, Antonio Brown, he, he's basically the same kind of build as those guys. And those guys have, had, have excelled in the NFL. And I think Dorsett can too. Um, really, when you look at what the Dolphins want to do, you need guys that can um, that can get yak, take short routes, and turn them into longer routes. You want guys that, that make contested catches. You want guys that are um, that adjust to balls better than what they've had, and that's part of what what I've seen in Philip Dorsett. He does really well in that regard, in those regards. Um, he's a guy that's going to, uh, you know, he, he'll go across the middle. He's going to take a short route and can, um, you know, and can can take them deep. What what I really didn't like when the Dolphins, what they would do with some of their receivers last year, they would run those wide receiver screens. And in my opinion, to look at a guy that 
to get a receiver that can run those types of plays, you need a guy that has returned pumps before. Um, the best wide receiver screen receiver that I've ever seen is Steve Smith. Um, that guy could get hit in the backfield and still gain five yards. Um, but a guy like Wallace, they even ran one for Heartline one time, which is unbelievable. But um, they had these guys that were had a good straight line speed, but they're not guys that are going to make people miss. That's one of the reasons I like bringing in a guy like Dorsett or uh, whoever else is these guys that can make people miss in open space. And um, that's one reason I like Aguilar. I've watched the tape on him. That guy is – he would absolutely dominate in this offense, I think. Um, take that short route, short little pass, the screen, make people miss and gain some yardage out of it, which is just something they lack. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all about some Philip Dorsett. If they can add him in the second round, I would absolutely be for that because he will do everything that the Dolphins want, and he brings 4-2 speed to well, uh, guys, you know that I've been trying so hard not to just fall in love with Philip Dorsett. I, I man, you can you can't I, help it. You're in the wrong room, man. Yeah, join <laughs> it's us. Just, it's just that I I see I see the other things we need to deal with, and considering what Dorsett would be doing. He's he's the fact that he's not that big and that he's like pretty much a slot receiver size. That makes me feel like that would he would pretty much be competing with Landry for targets. Could yeah, but that way on the outside because. Oh, go ahead. Finish your point, and then I'll jump on. It's just that I feel like he's he's not he's not his his small size is going to keep him at least to a certain extent, from being effective on the outside. I understand the whole idea of his blazing speed and everything, but even Dorsett, as, and as much as we hate to it, as much as I hate to have to say this, even Dorsett being faster than Wallace is not going to command the sort of respect, at least not at first, that Wallace will, and simply because he's a rookie and he's not proven. Wallace, like it or not, has proven that when he does catch a ball in stride, he's gone. Dorsett, we, nobody knows what Dorsett's going to do yet. So even on the outside, and he has the disadvantage of being smaller than Wallace Park, that's going to hinder anything he can do on the outside. If he goes on the inside, then he's going to take a pounding, and I don't know how tough he is to be able to handle it like Jarvis Landry did. That's the thing about well, with I, Dorsett. With I him. understand your concerns, but the thing is that, that – set of logic right there, or those concern points, are what informed all the teams that passed on T.Y. Hilton. That's the same thing. I remember in all the draft guides, he's going to take a beating, doesn't have the size to go ahead and win consistently in space, so on and so forth. I saw that often. Uh, I feel like this would be an excellent way for the Dolphins to atone for missing on T.Y. Hilton, because I love Philip Dorsett. And to your point, when he comes in, he's not going to get that immediate respect from uh, the top of the defense that Mike Wallace commanded. I don't think it's going to take long to get there, though, because in college, that guy just absolutely mauled the top of every defense that even challenged him, that even thought that it was a good idea to go ahead and pinch. Okay, here's the other concern. So I Bring it. Here's the other concern. If you don't take him at 14, 
what are the chances he's still there at 47? I don't Not think he's going to be there. I think that he's a late one, personally. I think that, so, well, I mean, the good news is that you got guys like Rashad Perriman running stupid 40 times, and that has really opened opened up eyes for a lot of scouts. It, But I, I see the tape. I don't like Rashad Perriman's tape. I'm not a fan. I don't like the way he runs routes. His hands, I read something that was talking about how his hands are really good. I wasn't a fan. I thought that he he fought the ball often, but that's what I think. I forget what he ran. It was four two something, four two, four two five, something, whatever. Uh, just crazy fast. And I mean that's gonna likely get someone to bite. So you, you hope that the, these guys jump because he does have the size. He's about six two. I think he runs two twelve somewhere around there. So. You hope that these players jump up and get in front of guys like Philip Dorsett. And I mean, I'm sure you're not the only. You're far from the only person out there who looks at Philip Dorsett and, and says, "Well, I mean, he's five ten. Uh, was he 180 some pounds at this point? Uh, 187. So th- there you go, 187. So people are going to worry about this, the same things you brought up. And I th- and I agree, Lewis, that when you put out those concerns like that, that's a very organized structured way of looking at it that is this guy going to be able to come is he going to threaten is he going to stretch the defense and really command that respect which i think he will uh does he have the size to go ahead and work the outside can we trust him on the perimeter that's going to remain to be seen at the nfl level do you like him on the inside to do a lot of the dirty work I, I like jarvis landry doing that more but i know that phil dorsett is a kind of route runner who can do that I think that he can go ahead and separate himself inside. So I'm not worried about that, but uh, some of the concerns you brought up there are, in my opinion, legitimate, and that's something that I've thought about with him too. I'm willing to to go ahead and override those concerns and, and roll with it because I really like him, but I think it's fair at the points that you brought up. That's, well, that's, I, I, I'm trying so hard not to love Dorsett, but the more I hear about him, the more it's hard, it, the harder it is to resist. I, I, I like Dorsett, but it's like I see the need for a bigger guy who can take more of a pounding and can probably handle the outside as a fighter better. That's the only, I, Dorsett I, is probably a better version of Wallace in a way, and you brought up the T.Y. Hilton um, com, um comparison and Mm -hmm. okay yes I see that but that is going to pretty much mean that Dorsett is going to be mainly if you put him on the outside he's mainly a deep threat Uh, other than that what's he going to be able to do screens okay yeah we can do that I guess and that's part of the whole laser offense too he fits to a certain extent but He's not the missing piece in the offense because we already have no, smaller not. guys. Well, here, here's one of the things about uh, a couple of things about um, Dorsett that I like. Number one was at the Senior Bowl, he ran mostly possession receiver route. He you didn't see him just running the ball deep. Uh, he ran one of the best comebacks. I've never said this before. He ran one of the best comebacks I've ever seen. Um, the uh, he showed that he showed how to get open. Uh, he could get open on various types of routes. So I think they could use him like that. The second thing is one thing you don't really see a lot of with these um, deeper threat receivers is 
team, unless the team has a really good corner that they're comfortable with, or they are bringing a safety over top, you're not going to see a lot of press coverage or close coverage on a guy like that. Simply because if he learns how to hand fight, I've not really watched much of that, and you don't see that a lot in college simply because he is so fast. Um, if he learns how to win with his hands at the line of scrimmage, and a guy's playing up on him, two steps and he's gone, that stuff will stop. They'll start, they'll start sneaking off of him. It kind of reminds me of when uh, that Pittsburgh game several years ago when uh, Roethlisberger fumbled the ball, but the referee didn't see it or some other stupid thing. Um, Mike Wallace had a touchdown in that game, and at the, at the snap, Jason Allen was retreating. He was already backpedaling before the ball was snapped, and he still got beat. That's what you'll see with a guy like Dorsett at some point. Not immediately, but eventually what will happen is that cornerback will be up and he'll say, yeah, this guy's a rookie. He's going to try to do something. Dorsett's going to go by him. He's beat. And then you're going to start seeing that off coverage. Or you're going to start seeing that safety over the top. And there you go with Cameron, Landry, whoever else in there. So it'll it'll eventually have that effect. The other thing I want to mention and I think this is a key, kind of a key point because it shows kind of his nature. Uh, Dorsett had told everyone that he was going to stand on his combine numbers. He still went out there and ran a 40 because he saw everyone else doing it. He thought, I want to improve. I want to get better on my 40, and he did it anyway. Now, he could have stood on his excellent combine numbers, but he decided to compete anyway. I like that because that shows he's got that, that drive to do more, and that's what you want. You guys are trying really hard, but I'm not going to give in. You will. Well, I guarantee you will before before April 30th. You'll be there. You'll be right in the in the depths of it, just right with us. But the one thing you brought up that I I agree is he's not the he's not the sole answer to what we're looking for on this offense because I was talking to a couple of people on Twitter and they bring up that with the with the Dolphins' current wide receiver group that there's this this body type, they're around 5'11", 6 foot, most of these guys. I mean, the wide receivers, I'm not counting. Jordan Cameron at, at tight end. Heartland uh, you know, was the Yeah, exactly, and he was about, what, 6'1", 6'2". So, six two. Uh, so he, I mean, you, you would be nice to get a guy like a Devontae Parker, a Jalen Strong, one of those guys at like a 6'2", uh, someone who breaks it up a little bit and, and get a, a bigger body in there. That I agree with. I mean, that would be nice. But in my mind, what Dorsett does is everyone who is expecting Kenny Stills to come in, and, I mean, if if people aren't in the know, they expect him to be Mike Wallace. I think that's ridiculous. I think that he's a far better overall receiver than Mike Wallace. I think that his potential is outstanding. I think what Dorsett provides is a sort of bridge to what Wallace brought to this offense. And I know you've referenced it many times when the rumor is regarding Wallace and uh, Wallace trades would come up, you'd say, but he threatens the top of the defense. You know, you have to go ahead and force that safety back as a result of the fact that there's that speed in there. And I think that Dorsett can bridge that for us. But I like the fact that's not exact. That's not all he does. You don't bring him in and say, okay, I hope you're excited about uh, running nine routes until uh, – uh, like really, uh, that's your sole purpose here. I hope you're okay with that because I love him as a route runner. I think that he can run the underneath stuff. 
I think that he's incredibly sharp. He, he tempos his routes. I love how he sets defenders up. I mean, he's a he's a calculating route runner when you watch him. I mean, he's not just in there just trying to throw a head or a shoulder fake on a guy and expecting that to do the job. I mean, he gets in there and he really toys with defenders, and I love that. I'm not doing it. We need other he'll, stuff. He'll do it. I want my O-line. He'll be <laughs> I, I, I'm with you, too. I, I love drafting offensive line. I find that you and I agree on a lot of things in this draft. There's a couple of things that I'm not as strongly opinion, opinionated toward as you. But I find that our uh, our draft uh, projections, our hopes are right there. And, and, and Duke as well. I mean, Duke's uh, – I know that he likes Peters. I know that he's not as big a Peters fan as he was with uh, Desmond Trufant. Desmond Trufant was like the one that got away for him. I think he would have mm. as much. Mm. <laughs> well, for me, I, I'm willing to bet well, that Jamar Taylor would have gone first as a cornerback in this draft. Yeah, I mean that's that's something to consider. That I mean that was a talented 2013 class he was a part of, and I mean the the part of the reason he dropped in the second round is uh, the injury that he had. I think he had a shoulder thing going on too. And then uh, a lot of stuff that came out afterward. I, I forget the exact thing when he was losing all the weight. I think that was a, a response that his body had to, was it medication or what was he doing at the time? He, he has a going on. and he can't take NSAIDs. Right. So he can't take, he can't take certain kinds of anti-inflammatory medicine because it affects his kidney disorder. So that in turn affects recovery time. Yeah, I I agree, though, that Taylor was a first-round guy. I mean, you saw it in a lot of mocks that year. A lot of people thought he was going to go late first round. Uh, I remember uh, he had one of the better uh, – he and Trufant both ran incredibly well at the combine. Darius Slade did, too. Both guys all really pumped up their draft stock. And I've liked what I've seen from Darius Slade in Detroit for the most part. So Duke was right on with that cornerback class. He was a fan of those guys. Um we ended up with Jamar Taylor, and I have faith in Jamar Taylor, too. I mean, I come back to the fact that we were in that Denver game until he got hurt. You know, once we lost him, that, that really took away uh, from our ability to, to stand toe-to-toe with Denver, and we ended up losing that game. But I thought that he was a real factor up until he hurt his shoulder. Well, one of the things I wanted to say, you know, a lot of – a lot, you, a lot of mock drafts um, and a lot of stuff that you see this time of year is all about need. It's, it's need-based stuff, and so Miami needs a guard, so drafting a guard at 14 or all that kind of stuff. But I want to I want to go back to last year's draft and look at what the um, New York Giants did. No one was really picked them taking a receiver. I mean, they had at the time they had Victor Cruz. They had uh, Reuben Randall had played well the year before, and it wasn't a huge need, not like O-line or even linebacker was for them. That's always seems to be a huge need for them. Yes, they took, it came back to bite them, though, Duke. Did what? It came back to bite them. They, yeah, they got Odell Beckham, but they still got – Eli Manning still got clobbered. Yeah, and, and they failed. True. I mean, they could have used it, but my point is <clears> if, you see a, if you see a talent, if you see a guy there – and even if he's not at a position of need, if you see a guy there who's like, man, this this guy is going to be a game changer at some point, then you then you you've got to take him. I, I I just don't see the idea or the 
benefit to saying, well, I'm not taking this really talented player at a position that I don't need because I need another another player at another position. So, you know, if and, and I'm talking about, let's say, the second round or something. Like last year, nobody would have expected the Dolphins to take Jarvis Landry because, I mean, we had uh, Hartline and Wallace and, and Gibson, and that was our three big receivers. And so, you know, I think that – I think what the Dolphins need to do is – obviously they have some of these needs to address, and they need to do it as best they can in free agency on some of them. But don't don't overlook talent. And in my opinion, you see a guy like Philip Dorsett, if he's there in the second round – He's a talent. He's a guy that's going to could be a game changer for you with that speed, his route running, and all that other stuff. So, in my opinion, that's a guy you take over a guard in the second round. You know, obviously, if you take a receiver in the first round, you're probably not going to double up that quick, or you might. I don't know, but I just think Miami needs to add some talent if it's available. So, again, I mean, same thing in the first round. If if there's a guard there like Lael Collins. If, he, if he's a guy that you think, All right, I can bring him in, he'll start left guard immediately. He'll be my future left tackle. I don't have a problem bringing a guy like that in if you think he is a great talent for your team. I'm just not – I used to be a very needs-based drafter. Like, you know, I need this position, this draft here and there. I've kind of gone away from that personally. I like, you know, talent-based. And so – that's one of the big reasons I'm a big fan of like Eric Kendricks at 14. Is he necessarily rated that high on some boards? Maybe not. But I've watched tape on this, that guy, and he's a missile. Um, that guy, he's going to get 200 tackles playing behind a Dominican Zoo. He just will. He has great reaction time, great instincts. He doesn't seem to miss a lot of tackles. I so love it. My opinion, that's a talent that you well, take. So. Okay, me, but, yeah, okay. go ahead. One thing I want to say real quick. My hurricane, <laughs> I still, um, my hurricane, if I have to just pick one, is pretty much a guy nobody's talking about. It's Ladarius Gunter, cornerback. First off, well, you can have him in the fourth round. And second off, he's that 6'1", kind of Richard Sermon's build Guy, I'm thinking that a lot of people are really sleeping on him. He, he Gunter had, Gunter's Gunter's draft stock went down big time because of his slow forty. But I understand where you're coming from. Gunter would be a very good uh, middle round, late round uh, pickup. Because I mean, that's kind of why he, Sherman sell too. He didn't really post those big numbers. I'm not saying he's going to come in and be Richard Sherman. I'm saying that. Guys like that fall for a specific reason, and you know the thing is, is that the things we do on defense, he does on defense, and that to me, you know, kind of cures your number two corner situation right there, because really the biggest complaint we have is like there's nobody with size on our team. You know, forget all the, you know, stopgap free agents for a minute. But even when we were bringing them in, you have these 5'10", 5'11", guys that you're expecting to come in when, on average, 
your wide receivers are like six one, six two, and I think he gives that to the defense. Now, on that note, with what you said about the um, the needs, say all three wide receivers are there. You can't find a trade partner. There's 30 seconds left. Do you pound the gavel for Danny Shelton? If he's the highest-rated guy on the board at 14. There's definitely a, an appeal there just because I, I can't imagine anyone trying and then to run to in Danny Shelton. I mean, that's that's almost unfair. I mean, that would be that would be incredible. But I mean, that's something where uh, that depends on on whose value you're going with at, at number fourteen. Because I mean, there's times where I, there are times where I do that fan speak mock, and I just I look at the top thirteen picks, and you just feel like literally no one you wanted to see available at at fourteen is there. So I mean that part of it can be really frustrating. There's, I think you're going to see some surprises in the top ten. I, I wrote about that in that post I put out last week. I think that Alvin Dupree is going to end up wedging his way somewhere into the, into the top thirteen. I think he's uh, just incredibly scheme versatile. I think that if you're really looking to do a, outside of outside of a guy who can who can move between the zero and one technique, I think that a guy like Alvin Dupree. Uh, provides ultimate flexibility for a hybrid defense because, I mean, he's comfortable as a 4 tree end. I mean, he's outstanding in a 3-4 elephant role. I mean, he's just a really good player, and he's huge. So I think he'll get in there. Um, I'm, I'm near – I'm not 100% confident, but I do think that at least four pass rushers and maybe five are going before 13. Do you think Randy Gregory's going to make it? Yeah, I don't think the marijuana is going to be enough. Uh, one of my buddies on Twitter, uh, Zach, I talked to him last, and he's got a theory that he thinks that Atlanta absolutely rolls with Randy Gregory. Uh, I know, I, well, I've read, I shouldn't say I know, uh, that the Jets have been asking about him a lot. He makes sense because in Todd Bowles' defense, uh, Randy Gregory would be a, just a huge piece coming off the edge. I think he rolls about 6'6". Six, six. And I think I don't. I know that his weight at the combine was around what 235, and it came out that he, his last year at Nebraska he's playing at 218 or some absurd weight for a guy that tall. So I think he would be a, a key piece. So I think Gregory stays in there. Uh, I think Fowler would be the first to go. I think Fowler's a goner. I think Jacksonville takes him, puts him in the Leo role, and calls it a day. Um, I think Vic Diesel is going to go to Washington. And if not, I think Vic Beasley is uh, uh, a candidate for, again, the Jets, the Jet, uh, Atlanta. And then... Um, and let's not forget uh, two quarterbacks, think, Brock Winston and Mariota. Yeah, well, I was going to say in New Orleans, too. I think that that whole range is going to be really telling. And there are other teams who can get in on this, obviously. Uh, yeah, so he has the two quarterbacks. I'm not buying that Mariota's going to fall. I mean, I know it could happen. Uh, but I don't think he falls any any further than what six. I know the Jets are talking about how much they love Geno Smith. They're ridiculous yeah. if they roll on with that. I mean, I'm okay with it. Please do if you want, but that's not that's not how I would go. I would go about it. 
So, I think somebody's yeah, so actually I, I, gonna. I think somebody's actually gonna reach for the third quarterback at some point in the first round. Um, what's his face? No, the other guy. Oh. He kind of. Bryce Petty. Um, oh yeah, oh, no. uh, Petty from Baylor. Yeah. You see the third quarter? I this is a year where I haven't even really looked at the quarterbacks. I've been, I guess, I've been spoiled by the whole Tannehill thing because this used to be something I would just read front and back. It, and it's now it's I really a toss up at this point. It's a toss up at this point between Brett Hundley and Bryce Petty. Depends on who you read. Um, Bryce Petty is the is the. I don't I, I don't know the exact comparison, but from everything I've read and seen about him. The guy's got like excellent deep passing skills, uh, fairly fairly decent passing skills all the way around. But his his uh, his presence under pressure is extremely lacking. Because then, like you give this guy pressure, and he's going to completely freak out and not know what to do. How depressing is it if Washington actually goes through with taking Marcus Mariota? I mean, do you laugh? Do you do you just sit there and, and honestly feel bad for those guys? I talked about this with, with my friend last night. Uh, it's, I mean, it's something I don't I don't want to I don't want to rub it in their face. I don't, and I certainly don't want to rub it in the face of these people who are talking about how the Dolphins totally missed out by not trading up for Robert Griffin and instead standing pat at number eight for Ryan Tannehill. But right now, that looks like it was the right thing to do. Patience, patience paid off, yeah. it seems. That was the most ticket bomb move that Jeff Ireland ever made. <laughs> yeah. For for everything that, I mean, that guy gets killed on, uh, the fact that he didn't give up. I mean, I, when I was talking to my friend about this last night, uh, St. Louis practically built their entire defense off of what they got in that deal. Outside of uh, Chris Long and Robert Quinn, I mean, you look at, uh, I think, because they, uh, they eventually traded down, but they got Brockers through that pick. Uh, trying to think, uh, one of their, North they got a second-round pick. It, was it Jenkins? I know I know they also took Tremaine Johnson. I was trying to think which guy they took with that, that second-round pick. They, uh, they took Brian Quick with the first pick, which was their own pick, and then they took Janoris Jenkins with the second their second pick that they got from Washington because I was hoping he would fall to Miami and didn't. Yeah, it was, I was. I liked Jenner Jenkins when he was at Florida, but, I mean, I think he's – how many kids did he have at the time? He had, like, six at the time. I, I just wasn't wasn't a real fan of that. And then, yeah, that's right. So they took Tremaine Johnson after that. Um, it's – just when you look at what they built as a result of what Washington gave up, it's almost nauseating. When uh, when you when you think about it, so I actually I kind of feel bad for them. And if it comes full circle with them taking Marcus Mariota, I hope it works out better this time. Actually, one of the reasons why I'm not too unhappy with the whole Deion Jordan pick, I'm willing to give him a third year this year because well, I'm still old school enough to remember where you gave players three years before calling them a bust, you know. Um, okay, well, well, Jordan Jordan has his own set of issues, but I don't think it's him so much that it is the coaching staff not knowing what to do with him. 
standing him up, sitting him down on the ground as a pass rusher, as a defensive end, is not Jordan's game. It was never his game. He was an outside linebacker in Oregon, and he was in coverage, and he pass rushed standing up. Trying to make him a defensive end is a, a move by the coaching staff that has made Deion Jordan almost ineffective. He's not going to beat out Derek Shelby. He's not going to beat out Olivier Vernon. He's not going to beat out Cameron Wake. So at defensive end, he's buried on the depth chart. And that's why I, I scoff at people who say all the time that Deion Jordan is not a linebacker. He's a defensive end. Okay, you want to make him a defensive end? Fine. He's going to sit on the bench for the next, for uh, once all over again because he's not going to beat Shelby and he's not going to beat Wake and Vernon. As a linebacker, well, his competition is much, much less – much less difficult to defeat. Who's he ha- who does he have to beat out at outside linebacker? Chris McCain? He could do that. He can cover better than McCain. Tripp? He can pass rush better than Tripp. Kelvin Shepard? Get real. So that's the that's the uh, that's the thing for Deion Jordan. He's much uh, he would be much better as an outside linebacker strictly because he'd be able to use all of his skill set and not just the pass rushing part, which he's not going to beat Shelby out of the defensive end anyway. Well, well, that's why I'm all for some of these, these some of these goons being fired. Because I, I, you know, if this team under underachieves again this year, I hope it's something where they just go ahead and realize the relationship that Tannehill's with, with Laser, and just make Laser the head coach going forward. Because this whole thing with Jordan, in my opinion, is a total ego play. They know better than everyone else. Even though at no point, when I think. I know I didn't feel this way. I'm, I don't want to speak for Duke, but I don't think he felt this way either. And I don't think anyone felt this way when they watched Jordan at Oregon and thought, that guy probably better as a defensive end. Hell no. That guy was well, an outside linebacker re- there and, and almost like a Swiss Army knife when he played at Oregon. There's no way I thought that that guy would be a, a, a strong defensive end. I don't care how much weight he gains. So I, I, don't, I don't get it. That's the thing we had um, in hindsight. It's twenty twenty, but we had just recently signed Wheeler and Ellerby. We had Koamisi that we were trying to put there at outside linebacker. I, I I remember things a little bit differently, and I said, and I remember them saying that they wanted him to learn the defensive end position. You know how to play that position because they wanted him to be more versatile in like their coverages so that way he wouldn't have to come off the field. So when they had all those guys they just signed and yeah, they didn't pan out, but you know, at that point you really weren't expecting him to come in as a day one starter because well, first off he still had the school thing to finish. And he still had the the uh, the he was still recovering from a shoulder injury, and building up the strength back in that arm. So you weren't really expecting him to come in. So it was okay to sit him down and say, okay, learn the position, this, that, and the other thing. Now, as far as like last year, okay, you can fault him for the drug, um, the drug suspensions, but. On that note, you, you still he, – he didn't really have the time to go in there and learn the defensive end position like they wanted him to. And it's not necessarily that they saw him as a defensive end at that point. They said that they just wanted him to learn that position in case they had to use him 
because they still weren't sure about Vernon. They, you know, they they weren't sure about Shelby. And Wake's, you know, Wake's an awesome person, but he's reaching that point in life where he's 30-something years old. And that drop-off, even like you saw last year, where they had to sit him down on a few plays. And that's when our defense really started to suffer was when they started having to sit him down, like in the late third, early fourth quarter. For me, I'm not as upset with that, but the reason why I brought it up was because, you know, people are saying, oh, well, we gave up a second rounder. Well, look at how much Washington paid to move up to draft on what do you call it. Look at how last year, look how much Buffalo paid to move up to draft Sammy Watkins. When you think about it, and it was pretty much like a bonus because a bonus pick because we had traded Vontae Davis, which is a whole other argument in itself, but he wasn't going to do what we needed him to do here because I think the coaching staff pretty much ruined him at that point you know, giving him so much leeway that he'd show up to camp overweight. But, you know, for me, it was about the value of moving up from pretty much mid-round to number three for nothing but a second-round pick that was an extra pick that we had. We don't have to give up nothing the following year. We didn't have to give anything up you know, past that really is what and that was really a bad draft to begin with. You know I I, I agree with that. So the one thing I want to come back to though the fact first of all we got about seven minutes left so we gotta wrap this up uh, pretty quick. But the one thing I want I wanna mention when I said it was an ego play is I'm a big believer in that you play your personnel to its strength. And if you want a similar example, it would have been when the Denver Broncos drafted Von Miller. And Von Miller was that kind of tweener at Texas A&M and people were like, ah, I don't know, does he fit better in a 3-4? You know, what are we going to do with him? And instead, I mean, Denver could have easily been like, you know what, we really want, to, want you to get into that defensive end uh, weight. We really want you to go ahead and book up a little bit so we can get you up there. No. They put him in outside linebacker and really uh, put a system in place where he was able to pass rush. I don't understand why we can't do something similar with this guy because he covers too well to just sit there and be a defensive end unless you want to go ahead and, and zone blitz the crap out of him. I don't and to understand. Make a, and to make, make with one, one point, Keith, because people are c- criticizing Jordan's uh, coverage skills and saying that he's not really as good as he, we think he is. And to that, all I would say is, quite simply, he managed to cover Gronk for a little while. And just this previous year, even after he bulked up and everything, he still managed to, to a certain extent, keep up with Calvin Johnson. You do not, you do not manage to cover Megatron by accident. That's all, I can, that's all I have to say, really, about Jordan's coverage skills. You do not wind up covering the best wide receiver in the NFL by accident. Especially in the red And, and you've got these guys wasting that talent in my opinion, because they have some sort of vision that is, in my opinion, it's more fantasy than anything. That's why I don't have a problem when people go out there and say, I don't agree with what Joe Philbin and Kevin Coyle are doing. I like laser. 
I like laser a lot. I love the fact that for the long for the first time in a long time, we have that offensive coordinator quarterback relationship. And I'd like to turn that into a head coach quarterback relationship that you see with like your McCarthy's and your Aaron Rodgers or I mean if you really want to go outside the box like when Troy Aikman and Jimmy Johnson what they had going on in the early 90s or Montana and Walsh if you really just want to go ahead and put it out there but that that sort of respect and this mutual admiration and understanding and willingness to work together that I think Laser and Tannehill are already exhibiting I think that that should be the, the mold going forward I've had it with these other guys if you're not willing to use the personnel to its strengths, then you're just you're wasting everyone's time. I apologize for ranting there. Sorry. I'm also I'm not that sorry. That. Uh, so, so we've got about four minutes left, so we'll wrap this up. Anything that you guys want to get out there within a say about a minute? Anything you guys want to chat that we didn't already cover? Josh Freeman. Yeah. I like that we signed him because the Jets were really taking a hard look at him. And they had him in for a few workouts and a few solid workouts. I mean, they brought him back like two or three times, and I think they were really considering on putting an offer on the table for him. And it was just kind of a surprise, you know, like, hey, come play for the Dolphins. And he was like, yeah, sure. And... You know, I like that. Uh, if I I don't know what's up with Josh Freeman. It's probably because of the Dennis Hickey ties, and Hickey is probably just trying to get, do the dude a favor because he was in Tampa when he when Freeman was drafted. Freeman, I don't. He might, and I, and I say this because a lot of people gave me crap about it earlier on today. But all I said was he might might emphasis on that might be able to beat out Matt Moore for the backup job. There are people out there who are honestly saying that he's here to challenge Tannehill, and I think uh, Big O from the Big O Show was celebrating at the top of his lungs over the fact that the Dolphins had uh, signed Freeman, and all I could think was, are you serious? Why? He had one good year, and after that, he just disappeared off the face of the earth. He wound up in Minnesota, failed miserably there. He wound up in New York as a Giants. He failed miserably there. I don't even think he got on the field. So, if Freeman still has a little bit left in him, fine. He's a new backup. Matt Moore can move on the next season, and Freeman can be the new backup behind Tannehill. But to honestly say that he is here to take Tannehill's job, I I, I, I don't know what to say. I just don't. Does Big O, think, Big o not like I, Tannehill? I don't pay attention to that guy. I, I think that whenever a prospective journalist applies for the Miami media and they say, I want to cover the Dolphins. I think the first interview question that they ask is, how well can you troll fans? And they go off of that. I really think they just go into Jets games and say, who wants a job working for the Miami Herald? Um, you know, they have <laughs> We're not that. talking oh about the Herald, though. We, it was not, the Herald's not nearly as bad as certain other people. <laughs> Oh, I hate, I've hated Mando like ever since I knew he existed. Um, I just don't like him. He's not that bad. Like, I've I've met Armando and I've met all those guys. They're not that bad. The only one who I really don't like, and I'm pretty sure everybody doesn't like him on this board, so you know who it is. 
Dallas yeah. Thomas? Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, Dallas Thomas. <laughs> I, I I love the work that he's uh, he's done for the Suns. Uh, I'm getting the the, the English ladies telling me that I, we got less than a minute. So uh, if anything you got to say, spit it quick. My my final comment is I think Dolphins fans need to get uh, acquainted with two players in this draft that they probably aren't thinking about a lot. Number one is Nelson Aguilar, and the other is that cornerback from Oregon, and I will not even attempt to pronounce his name. We'll talk more about uh, – are you talking about X-Ray though? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk more about those guys next week because I have a, I have a particular interest in Aguilar as well. I think that that guy is a real unsung talent in this draft. So uh, thank you for setting up next week. Uh, for Dolphin Fan for Life, thank you for calling in as usual. Always good to hear from you. Uh, Lewis, thanks for uh, co-hosting the show with us tonight. Not a problem. And, uh, Always a pleasure. Great. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks a lot. No problem. Good night. Good night. Good night. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.